Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a Market Scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, I'm excited to have Nandan Chef with us. He was appointed as CEO of Split It in January 2020. He is a seasoned payments industry expert and brings domain expertise through his work at large payment companies, major banks, Fortune 100 companies, and disruptive technology startups across North America and Europe. His record of entrepreneurial success includes scaling and successfully exiting multiple fintech companies, including Harbor Payments. And we're going to dig in a little bit deeper to all of that as we get into a conversation with him. But before we do so, I'm going to throw it to Nandan to give a little bit more of a personalized introduction to him because I just scratched the surface. Um, and his role and what, what is Split It and how is it differentiating from the competition? Nandan, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Melissa. It's, uh, it's a delight to be here and thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm Nandan Sheth, um, live in Atlanta and have been in payments for 20 years, um, have uh, seen a lot, have made a lot of mistakes. And, uh, <laughs> That's how I've we learned, learn, right? And I was just going to say I have learned a lot because of those mistakes. Um, I am not only a payments executive, I'm also a consumer. I'm a father of two millennials and um, my wife likes to shop. So not only do I have the perspective of a payments executive, I'm a consumer also. And I understand that there are likes and dislikes that are different by segment. Um, I was very attracted to Split It because I feel that Split It is a <clears throat> unique buy now pay later company that stands in its own category. So Split It is the only white label installment solution in the market. We have the highest checkout conversion rates in the industry because we are white label and we're available across a hundred global markets. Very simply put, Split It allows consumers that have existing credit cards to leverage their open to buy or their credit or their line for installments at retailers. We never charge the consumer. We never impose any fees on the consumer. And we exist to empower retailers rather than disenfranchise them. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important differentiator as well. We <clears> work <throat> with a lot of clients who are diving into that retail strategy component. And there, there's pros and cons to being part of an existing marketplace, but, um, you know, you don't maybe have total ownership of the relationship if it's not a white label solution. Um, so I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty distinctive differentiator. Buy now, pay later, you know, is definitely taken off of the past couple of years, pre-COVID. Um, I feel like we were just kind of getting introduced to it and people still trying to understand the differences between that and a credit card. Um, and also a lot of conversation around why the younger generations, Gen Z, particularly prefer this. Um, but tell us, how is buy now, pay later impacting the merchant and consumer relationship as a whole? Yeah, I think that is a very important question. So the first thing I want to establish is I think buy now, pay later is here to stay. Consumers like buy now, pay later. And when I have the option to spread out my payment uh, without any interest or any fees, um, there is just a natural 
allows for me to leverage that service to buy more, more products and services. Mm-hmm. However, I think the biggest impact that the merchants have over and above the checkout friction or the lack of approvals for their consumers is the relationship between the merchant or the retailer and the consumer being disenfranchised by a third party organization Mm -hmm. that exists as a super app to drive offers to these consumers and acquire these consumers from merchants that offer their payment method. And to me, there's something not right about that. So if I'm a merchant, I've spent a lot of time and energy or a retailer, I've spent a lot of time and energy to A, acquire a consumer, Mm -hmm. turn them from a browser to a buyer, and then hopefully make them loyal. For me to add a third party brand in the middle, have that brand register that consumer that I own, that I've spent time, money to nurture, and then have the risk of that consumer be sent offers from my competitor. And then most importantly, have that consumer start their purchasing journey, not at my e-commerce website or my mobile commerce website, but a third-party super app. So we're talking to retailers and we're seeing a little bit of a backlash as retailers start to realign. And there is a leveling uh, happening between finance, payments, and marketing. And I think that's where models like ours become more superior, more interesting. I absolutely, I mean, people underestimate, you're just, you're starting the next stage of a relationship when you get somebody to a conversion, right? So it's critical time there. Um, Absolutely. What, as brands choose to partner with Split It versus competitors, tell, what does that experience look like? Like, how are you, you know, kind of onboarding them to that? And to the point, you know, somebody who's partnering with a competitor of yours, they're not fully owning that communication. What kind of tools are you providing for your partner, for those uh, brands and retailers that choose to work with you? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and let me maybe start off with very quickly kind of what I see as the differentiators of a kind of card-based installment program like ours, right? So number one, I think we're not just, it's very important to, to, to kind of communicate that we're not a consumer lender. Mm-hmm. We unlock $3 trillion in existing credit upon a credit card for point of sale installments. Number two, we embed our solution in the purchasing journey. So we're not asking consumers to change behavior. There's no registration. There's no underwriting. Um, there, there, there is very little to zero friction. And that's why we have about 70% conversion rate versus the industry standard being at about 30%. Number three, as I mentioned, we empower the retailer and do not acquire their consumer. And number four, which is kind of the point that, that starts to talk to the question that you asked me, we're not bringing the retailers a subprime consumer base that has a FICO score less than 600. 
And what's really interesting is that's only 30% of the market. So 60% of the market where consumers have a FICO score over 600 are being somewhat ignored because these buy now pay later programs are not meeting their needs. Mm -hmm. So in terms of tools and tactics that we provide, number one, we provide the ability to go after a brand new segment. The most buy now pay, pay later providers are not targeted. Mm -hmm. Number two, we allow retailers to benefit from dynamic messaging where they can message our products and solutions on their product pages to start to incent the browser to become a buyer. Mm -hmm. Number three, there is no brand friction. So we embed ourselves in, in that commerce journey, as I mentioned. And as such, we provide multitude of tools in terms of checkout optimization and checkout experience. And last but not least, we have analytics and data tools that we don't share with the base of merchants that we have or the retailers. We echo that back to the retailer that we're doing business with. So we say, retailer A, you seem to be doing really well in this particular category or skew. Mm -hmm. And as such, why not offer a different program or extended value to your consumer? So the data and analytics, I think, are key that we echo back to the merchant or the retailer. No, absolutely critical. And ideally, they're always learning from that and they're making those iterations so that they're more successfully communicating those different stages of a relationship you're having with a customer, new acquisition, repeat, et cetera. So um, definitely critical in that um, relationship management. So we spoke a little bit about competition and we both agree there's validation um, for this in the marketplace. Um, yeah. There's a lot of different discussions going on right now. Uh, the, the latest news is Apple Pay Later, um, which is also, I think, validation, right? If you have a player that big going into it, it's, it's, it's validation, but it also has implications, especially for legacy uh, by now Pay Later uh, players. What are your thoughts there? I think it's actually a very positive development. We encourage competition. And frankly, we encourage a responsible spending pattern and a contemporary experience for our consumers. Um, Apple is a very dominant tech company. Um, Apple does things um, right. They do things in a way where those things tend to scale, those products and services tend to scale. So we're very encouraged by Apple Pay Later. Uh, what I think it, it means for the legacy buy now pay later industry, which is you know, over 50%, maybe more, paying four over six weeks, I think Apple Pay Later has a significant impact on those players that are focused on that paying four over six, six weeks. However, what Apple is doing is fairly similar in terms of model because they're still underwriting the consumer. Mm -hmm. And certainly they have a lot more data points to underwrite the consumer. Sure. But if you've noticed, they've only offered um, this plan as kind of paying for, 
and they are going to underwrite consumers and some consumers are going to get declined. So I think a program that is a little bit more holistic, that doesn't live in a wallet that's available to Apple Pay customers, non-Apple Pay customers, that has an allowance for a higher AOV or average ticket and can provide extended plan programs such as paying six, paying 12, paying 24 through that same card that's in your wallet, I think it's still powerful, relevant, and incremental to what Apple Pay later is doing. And so how does that work? How does split it work? Are you working with your brand and retail partners to determine what those payment terms are or just have one set plan? It's a great question. We're actually, there's um, a lot of flexibility with um, how we work with retailers. As I mentioned, we exist to empower retailers. Mm -hmm. So we'll go to a retailer, say their average order value is $3,000. It's a luxury brand or it's a high-end uh, you know, bike company, or it's a mattress company, we will give them our best practices in terms of what has worked. We can offer a multitude of different plans. We can offer those plans in a multitude of different countries. So what's really exciting is um, for, for some of our brands that are global, they want a singular experience. Yeah. So when you're generating or originating consumer loans, there are different regulations by market, which changes the registration and you know, loan application form that you've got to fill out. With us, whether you're in the UK, you're in Australia or the US, the experience is exactly the same. So we're super excited about working with those merchants and providing the level of flexibility and the level of market uh, uh, penetration and kind of market availability that 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 split it brings. Amazing, yeah. That's I think it's critical for success. Um, on the backs of what we're seeing with the merchants and customer relationship, there's also the aspect of, of regulation um, and buy now pay later. Um, how do you think the industry is preparing for that? Look, I think. Um, I think the industry is trying to figure it out, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. So let me kind of take the different categories. If I look at buy now, pay later providers, there is a bit of resistance from the legacy providers around regulation. Um, we have a very different view. We encourage regulation. We encourage responsible buying. So I think you'll see a little bit of friction between the regulator and the legacy buy now pay later providers, whether it's in the US with the CFPB or it's in Australia where the new labor government have announced that they're gonna start accounting for buy now pay later uh, under kind of their credit regulations or in Europe where there's directive to kind of have buy now pay later within their kind of lending practices framework. Um, so I think, by now pay later providers will be impacted. I think it will mean that they will be able to approve less and less consumers. And I think when I start seeing my plans on my credit report, which is where I think it's gonna go, as a consumer, I'm gonna start being very uh, mindful of where I use buy now pay later, especially 
with providers that are originating new loans. As it comes to the retailers, I think the retailers are, are very cognizant of the changing landscape. And I think they want a future-proof solution. So certainly, you know, the 20% of the, of the consumers that are subprime that love kind of the origination of new loans, I don't think it goes away. I think it's great that it exists, but I think it's gonna look very different. So now the retailers that we speak to are saying, okay, what's the next innovation or the next evolution of buy now, pay later? Because clearly our consumers like it. So they see a installment service on card as a feature that all cards should have. And then the fact that we provide that without originating new loans, I think some retailers are finding that very intriguing. Other retailers are adopting the solution, frankly, side by side with the other providers. And we're totally fine with that. And I think if you look at the likes of issuers, um, banks, I think regulation will help banks because it will equalize the playing field where you've got these fintechs that are governed by a completely different set of rules to a large credit card company that's governed by Reg Z. Completely. I think it's kind of like what you saw a little bit Airbnb and then, right? You make yeah. a great point. I, I think it will, it will swing back to the middle. And frankly, I think it's a good thing for the consumer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. You do doing a certain level of regulation in there. Can't be completely wild, wild west. Um, so another part I wanted to touch upon is we've seen a, a big adoption and, and rise of buy now, pay later as, as e-commerce has continued to grow. But we're also seeing more of this happening in store. So what do you think the, the opportunity is there? What excites you about that? I think it's a huge opportunity, but I think the opportunity only manifests if the buy now, pay later service program platform is embedded in the existing checkout journey. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine waiting in line and someone wants to do buy now, pay later, they're not registered with a client or an firm or an afterpay. They go offline, even if they're doing it on their phone, it still creates so much friction mm -hmm. that for most retailers, um, it's not ideal. So I think the opposite of that where buy now, pay later is embedded within the point of sale, where it's more nothing more than an option. It's, it's a pick list. You click on you know, pain three, pain six, use your card, and you get the approval in real time without having to do another, another credit or underwriting process is, is, I think, a lot more elegant. And if you think about markets like Israel or markets like Brazil, this has been happening for years. Like you go to Brazil, installment payments are how credit cards work. And we've seen that within those markets, the program that we are supporting, that we're elevating already exists and it's already scaled. So I think it's gonna work, but it's gotta be embedded within the consumer checkout journey. I mean, it's absolutely critical. Um, everything about what makes any sort of technology aspect happen is the least amount of friction it has to be intuitive to the behaviors that are always already happening seamless and additive to the experience so and Melissa, um, one, yeah. just reminded me i mean one other point think about the movement to self-service right now getting labor for retailers is not easy 
No, can you it's imagine not. training such a transient workforce on how a buy now pay later product works from a you know credit and underwriting standpoint. It's not mm -hmm. easy. No, not absolutely not. Um, well, I think it puts you guys in an interesting position for sure as you talk about your differentiators and in the industry. So let's dive into trends and 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 thinking about the future. Um, what what are the consumer trends that you've been noticing? Any that have been surprising to you? Yeah, so uh, number one, the consumers are asking for installment payments for higher ticket items, mm -hmm. whether that's a dishwasher or it's a vacation or it's an Airbnb stay, or frankly, it's paying for their new HV, H, HVAC system in their house. So trend number one is I think consumers find buy now, pay later, more attractive at higher ticket, especially in that 600 plus segment that I mentioned. Um, I think trend number two is globalization of buy now, pay later and the importance of globalization for brands that are global. So if I'm a clothing brand or if I'm an electronic brand um, or if I'm frankly, you know, a service, say a streaming mm -hmm. service, um, having a consistent experience across the board is becoming much more relevant. So we're, we're having large retailers that have, you know, stores across the world or, or websites across the world say, okay, show me exactly how this is gonna work in Italy and show me now side by side how it's gonna work in the, in the UK and the US. So I think that's kind of trend number two. Trend number three is uh, merchants are getting very much focused on, on data around buy now, pay later. And the provider's ability to echo that data back to the merchant is becoming a very much a superpower of the buy now, pay later providers that can do it. Because then you start to optimize the plan and you start to change how you're delivering the plan to drive more value. So I think those are three big trends that I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. Interesting, yeah. And are you finding consistently people are paying on time? People's ability to pay within the subprime segment when they're getting access to a loan that's been originated in real time uh, is gonna get challenged even further as the economy turns. As you know, the write-off rates for many of the BMPLs between three to 5%. I think this is gonna to escalate to even a higher amount, which is gonna to lead to lower approval rates as the BMPL providers try to manage this problem. Compared to that to providing a buy now, pay later installment plan to someone that already has credit, their propensity to pay is significantly higher because they have available credit, they understand how to use that credit, and they're used to paying for such plans because they're at a different stage uh, of maturity as consumers. So I think it's gonna be a kind of a tale of two sides. I think one side where you've got subprime instant consumer loans, um, loans for purchases that many of these consumers may or may not have, have made without the, the installment program. 
versus a more mature consumer that has available credit. And I think the latter is gonna perform better than, 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 the, than, than the other uh, category. Interesting. Well, I'm also thinking about what you said about the client base um, that you're attracting at that higher FICO score. So I, I think there's probably quality in that mix as well too, as far as um, you know, risk profile. For sure, for sure. And I, I think the, the problem, uh, Melissa, that's, that's been out there is that FICO score, they're not interested in a uh, paying for over six weeks for a $250 hoodie. Like that's not the market they're in. They're much more interested in, okay, I have two phones. One is $1,500. The second one is $1,200. I'm probably going to be incented to buy the $1,500 phone to give a higher attach rate to the merchant right. if they offer me a pay in six or a pay in 12. Mm -hmm. That's much more meaningful. And it's hard to execute on that model if you are A, not targeting that audience, but B, don't have the ability to underwrite that consumer in real time because you're issuing a new loan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those are, yeah, good points. Um, and it speaks to the opportunities um, in the market and where this kind of has that more organic fit. Um, products of consideration is basically kind of what you're talking about and the opportunity there. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Well, we've seen a lot of change happening over the past couple of years. And for sure, the pandemic accelerated that. Um, and now we're going into another weird time with a pending recession and who knows what. Um, so short term, what are your predictions? Where does the market go? Does this work in favor of buy now, pay later? You know, where, where the economy is going? And then longer term, as we see the, con the consumer continue to evolve, being super adept and seamlessly interacting with technology, what does the five years look like? Yeah, I think short term, you're going to see consolidation in the traditional buy now, pay later space. Uh, unfortunately, I think some of the smaller providers um, may no longer be with us in 12 to 18 months. I think there will be a uh, very serious problem with targeting subprime consumers because as the economy turns, a, the demand's going to increase because those consumers may need uh, more of those loans. But B, because of the ec economic conditions, maybe the write-offs get worse. So I think you've got a two-sided problem short-term, but the demand's going to be high uh, in the segment that, that I mentioned. But I think that due to economic pressures, uh, the write-off rates are going to be worse. I think in the long-term, I see a very bright future for buy now, pay later. I think there are gonna be a multitude of different models because the TAM is so large, Melissa. Uh, I think it's good. I think it's healthy to have different models. I think having a copycat industry never works. I think having variability that, that allows the retailer to pick the option that is more suitable, the most suitable for them or multiple options that is suitable to them makes a lot more sense. So I think we have a bright future. I think there'll be multiple models. I think retailers need multiple options, not a one size fit all, which is kind of what they have today. 
And more importantly, I think you're going to see buy now, pay later much more as a feature rather than this product that, that, that it's, it's claiming to be today. And I think it's going to be a feature very similar to uh, a feature, similar feature that's available, like I said, in, in, in Israel and Brazil. And I think consumers are going to ask for consolidation of their buy now, pay later plans under one statement. And I think the easiest way to do that is with your existing issued card, whether it's credit or debit. So I think you're going to see a lot more growth in card-based installments over time. And I think that helps with the global problem because cards are a regulated instrument and they're a pretty much work the same way across the globe. So scaling globally, I think you're going to see a lot more scaling globally of the mm -hmm. same experience. Because right now it's very fragmented. You've got certain providers that are really strong in Latin America, but mm -hmm. certain providers are strong in Europe and then APAC. I think over time, there's going to be more of a global movement. I, I mean, I, I think you paint a really uh, comprehensive picture, right? Of what the evolution is going to be. And obviously your expertise within payments, right? Through your career history. <laughs> so um, thank you for sharing that uh, point of view with us. Um, kind of leveraging your, you know, your, your experience and then kind of looking into the future. Look, I, I think it's been super exciting for me. I've been doing this for three months, but what I'm learning a lot more of is the retail side of the equation. Mm -hmm. And that's why uh, the chairman of my board is a former retailer. And I've mm -hmm. got another board member that's a retailer. So I think kind of that mix of um, interests, a mix of experiences between kind of fintech and payments people and retail people, I think make, uh, make our company uh, a little bit more special than maybe others. Absolutely. I think that that mix is critical. Um, you're bringing different levels of expertise. Uh, I mean this in the most respectful way, but sometimes you see retail tech companies built completely by technologists, yeah. right? And you do need that lens. You need the retail lens. You need the consumer um, insights lens, it all has to marry together um, so that you're not necessarily over-engineering, you're appropriately engineering for what the market is asking for. And, and look, I think we're not claiming that we're the only solution. We're not claiming either that, you know, this solution is a fit for everyone. But we are suggesting humbly that another model can help relieve the pressure on the ecosystem that is desired by the consumer. So you have an mm -hmm. ecosystem today, let's call that installment payments, why not pay later, very desirable to consumers. So having some alternatives that kind of hedges some of the issues with some of the legacy models, I think is a very positive thing, whether that's Apple pay later or split it, or kind of the next innovator that's gonna come on the scene. We are excited to be, uh, I'm very excited to be in this journey. Well, we will continue to watch you and split it uh, as the journey continues. And really appreciate the time you took with us to talk through this. Um, so again, everybody, this is Nandan Chef. He is the newer, uh, newly, I guess you said three months, appointed CEO as Split It um, and a seasoned uh, professional at this. So thanks so much for, for sharing your insights, for giving us the time um, and taking the time with me. Delighted to be here and thank you so much for having me. Thank you.